Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, We're going to be taking a break from our teaching study in Exodus because we are celebrating our five-year anniversary, has been said several times this morning. I want to uh, just welcome everybody back that's been that's moved out of town, uh, the Harrises, the Smiths, uh, the Nice Songs, and who am, who am I missing? There. So just want to welcome everybody back, and it's just good to see um, you here this morning. And you know, um, a lot has happened over the past five years since we first started back at Merriman Avenue Baptist Church. And one of the things that I realize as God has been faithful to us is that church planting is really difficult. Um, it's one of those things, that's, it's a lot like dating and marriage. Um, now, I've talked a lot about my dating and marriage uh, over the past five years, so I'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning in, into that story, other than to say that, you know, um, very early in my life, when I was really young, for some reason, I've had a desire to, to get married and have children and raise a family. I don't, that was one of my top goals in life. I don't know why, it was just a desire I had. And so when I went to school, uh, I met Kelly at NC State, and, you know, she was just, she's, she literally is out of, out of my league. I mean, that's, I'm not exaggerating, but I was blown away when I found out. She told me, you know, the only reason, the main reason I'm here is because my parents have encouraged me to come here um, and get an education so that I can have something to fall back on in case things go wrong, uh, don't go the way I want them to go in life. And I was like, well, how do you want them to go in life? And she was like, I just want to get married and have kids and raise a family. And I was like, Really? And inside, I was thinking, you know, I can help you with that. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like that all for one song. You know, I can love you like that. I can make you my world. Move heaven and earth, what? If you are my girl, right? And Kelly's like, ew, get away from me. I'm not exaggerating. But, you know, I believe in a doctrine called irresistible grace. And so over time, uh, no, the Lord's gracious, and uh, he changed her heart, and we finally came together. I'm not going to go through that whole story, but I want to tell you that when we started dating, it was literally like liquid fire. I'm not exaggerating here. Um, She was always on my mind, and uh, every waking hour really revolved around me figuring out how I'm going to get through the day so that I can go and spend time with Kelly and be with her. And my desire for her to be with her literally reformed the way that I viewed life. Um, Even stoplights. You know those annoying things called stoplights that keep you from getting to where you want to go as quickly as you want to go? Those were my friends when I was taking Kelly home. I, I tried to hit every single one of them. I enjoyed stoplights back during that time. Um... The point I'm trying to make here is that life was exciting and sacrifice was so easy, right? I'll climb the highest mountain for you, girl. And then we met at the altar, and I said, I do. She said, I do. And 
for some reason, over time, things changed a little bit. And uh, there's times in marriage that you go through rough, rough spots. Amen? Come on, y'all are lying. <laughs> but sometimes marriage can be dry and it can be difficult at times. And, you know, whereas when we were dating, I would have climbed the highest mountain to get a cup of water for her. When I'm sitting on the couch and she's like, honey, can you get me a cup of water? I'm like, honey, I'm tired, you know, when you're married. So there's a difference. And the point I want to make here is that church planning is a lot like dating and marriage. And I remember five years ago when we launched the church that uh, it was so exciting. We, we had a clean slate. There was no traditions to compete with. We had the hope of growing uh, in, the, in the city of Asheville and impacting Asheville for Jesus. In that time, at the very beginning, ministry was exciting and sacrifice was easy. And then we got into it. And as you get into it and the honeymoon is over, you realize that people are people. No matter where you go, people are people. We're all broken. We all have sin issues and baggage that we bring in. And over time, um, you, you really realize that we all need a Savior. And so at times, it can be like uh, going from dating to marriage, and you have to, you have to have something that keeps you together and that keeps you moving forward. And God has been merciful. He has been faithful. He's been kind to our church to continue to uh, sustain us through a lot of different, uh, a lot of different difficult trials and also a lot of celebrations and seeing lives transformed and people changed and uh, hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the questions that I ask myself um, as I was preparing this message is, you know, we've been, we've endured five years and, and been able to continue forward. And one of the questions I ask myself is, if the Lord tarries, if he does not come back in the next five years, will Reach Life Church still exist? And, I, and that's a really sobering question that we need to ask. Uh, there are a lot of churches that are literally closing their doors right now. And, uh, you know, my question is, not only will we exist, I don't want to just exist. I want to be a church that is among the churches in Asheville that is truly lifting up Jesus and representing Jesus in the darkness of Asheville. And that's one of the questions that I've been asking myself. And so uh, in order to uh, address that, I decided that today we're going to be in the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and we're not going to be able to study the whole book uh, this time, but we're going to go through verses 1 through 7. I hope at some point that we can go through the book of Revelation. But I want to zero in on the first seven verses of chapter 2. And just to give you a little bit of context of what's happened in the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Um, and he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of, of Revelation. And in chapter 1, John, speaking in the first person, he says that he, basically that he was banished to the island of Patmos. It was, uh, Patmos was a barren, uh, rocky island that's about 10 miles long and 5 miles wide. And it's, it's very likely that John was put to forced labor, crushing rocks during his time. It, was, it, would, it would have been a very difficult season in John's life. And John says, you know, one Sunday I was uh, standing there and I had a vision where Jesus himself 
came to me, and he, he gave me seven distinct letters that he wanted me to deliver to seven distinct churches that existed during his time. Now, most biblical scholars will agree that those letters, that, that instruction uh, that was meant for those seven churches is also meant for the churches all throughout the history of, of, of the church. And so today, I want to look at the first letter, and it was written to the church in Ephesus. And I want to look at this because I believe that if we will heed if we'll pay attention to the words of Jesus, and if we will heed his words, then, Lord willing, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we will be one of the churches in Asheville, among the churches that is faithful and represents the true and living Jesus in spirit and in truth. So let's begin with uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. John says, uh, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now I want to stop right there and look at two words, the word angel right there. Um, that is translated in, in most Bibles as angel, but that word also can mean messenger. So some believe that this might mean that there's a, every church has a, uh, a uh, guardian angel, and then there's others that believe that this is a messenger or maybe the pastor of each church. Regardless of, of what it means uh, exactly, the point that we need to see here is that Jesus is giving a message that he wants delivered to his people. Secondly, I want to look at the word uh, church. The word church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which literally just simply means gathered ones or assembly or a congregation, people that come Together, And the first time that this word is used in the New Testament is in uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. This is where Peter tells Jesus, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on your profession that I am the Messiah, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. I will build my gathered ones or my assembly. And so we've been talking about this for the past, uh, well, throughout the life of our church, but God desires to have a people that are set apart in our hearts, in our minds, and in, in who we are for himself. And what's interesting to me is that when we read the Bible, the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, tell us what creation was meant to be, what it was supposed to be before man rebelled and sinned. It was supposed to be perfect. The last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, tell us what it's going to be like in the future, once again restored to the way it was meant to be in Genesis 1 and 2. But everything in between chapters 2 of Genesis and 21 of Revelation, everything in between is God calling out to the world, to call a people out to himself to be set apart through his son, Jesus. He wants a people, an assembly, a gathered ones that are set apart, and that's what we call the church. That's what we are to be. Now, notice that I've used the word gathered ones. Gathered ones. Individuals gathered together. A bunch of individual gathered together to make up the body of Christ. It's kind of like this brick right here. Um, yesterday, cleaning up outside in the yard out there, and there was this brick 
that was in the midst of all this brush, and I almost threw it away, and I thought, because it was in the way, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to bring it inside and use this as an example tomorrow in the service. By itself, what is this? It's a brick. It's not a building. This is a brick by itself. Now, notice the walls in here. They are lined with thousands and thousands of bricks. They make up a building. This brick, and you might be going, you know, duh, no duh. We know this is not a brick, I mean a building. But there are many who profess to be a part of the church and yet are loosely, like this brick just laying out there in the, in the parking lot, act as if that means they're a part of the church. When they're really kind of like, Remember I told you this brick was just in the, it wasn't doing anything, it was just in the way? Like bricks, we are, Jesus is calling us to come together. And he wants to take the bricks and put them in the wall. He wants you to be just another brick in the wall. Yeah. If you're visiting, I'm sorry. But my question, you know, as you look at these bricks, there's mortar in between them. There's mortar that's bonding them together. What's supposed to bond us together? Because, you know, we're not like Legos that have, that have this built-in bond that you can just connect. We are like this brick. We need a bonding agent. And now I'm not a brick mason or a block layer, but I know that you need mortar and you need sand in order to create the, the, the proper bond. It has to be mixed in a proper ratio in order to, to guarantee that you get the strongest bond. And when it comes to a church and what bonds a church together, I've noticed that there's basically three types of bonds that bond a church together, and I want to go over them. They are um, category A, category B, and category C bonding agents. Some of these, you could also look at them as primary or essential doctrines. Um, and that's the first one, uh, category A. They, these are the primary or essential doctrines. These are doctrines that are non-negotiables. That if you're going to be, if you're trying to decide, do I want to bond with this church? You need to look at category A. Are these, uh, th there are certain non-negotiable doctrines about Jesus. They are who he is. Um, like he's the son of God. He's sinless. He, was, uh, he rose from the dead. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead on the third day. Uh, he is God, his deity, th things like that. You change one of those things, and he is, that is no longer, uh, we no longer have unity because you've taken something that is who he is. We're worshiping another Jesus if they are not these doctrines. Secondly, in, in, in the, uh, this category, there's, there are the teachings of Christ. What did Ch Jesus specifically command or forbid? Love your neighbor, pay your taxes, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. These are commandments that we do not have the, uh, we have to be unified in these. There's, these are non-negotiables. Then there's category B, which are secondary or non-essential doctrines. Now, when I say non-essential, it doesn't mean that they're not important, but what it does mean is that these are doctrines that if we don't fully agree on them completely, they should not divide us. For example, how old, uh, example for doctrines like how old is the earth? Are you a young earth or an old earther? Uh, was Melchizedek a Christophany? Questions like that. But these, and also, uh, these can also be ways that you practice 
the commandments of Jesus, the way that you practically live them out. For example, how do we educate our kids? Do we homeschool? Do we private school? Do we public school? Uh, how often should we do communion? There are people that have come here and said, I'm not coming here because y'all do it every week. Uh, there are people that would say that in communion, you need to use wine. Uh, they have a conviction because they believe that at the, on the uh, Lord's Supper that Jesus used real wine. There's, there's certain practices that people have. Uh, topical preaching versus expository preaching. This morning, I am. What, what type of preaching am I doing? Topical, expository, right? I'm trying to exposit this text here. And some of you who are real, this is really big in your life, you're like, you haven't even gotten into the text yet, James. And we're 15 minutes into the message, right? So these are, this is the way that we do things from, from the category A. And then there are the category C, which is personal preferences. And this, these should never, ever divide a church, kind of like the color of a carpet, the length of a sermon, uh, how many friends that you have in a church. Do you use the violin or do you use the electric guitar? Do you have children's youth programs? Those types of things. These are preferences that we have that should be on the C tier. They should be on the very bottom of this. But you know what the problem is, is that often churches bond themselves with C things or B things. They'll say, yeah, I agree with the A things, but we separate over the B and C. Now, when it comes to the B items, there are times that we cannot be together. For example, if you believe in pedo-baptism, if you believe in that you should baptize your children uh, when they're born, then Reach Life Church would not be a good church for you because we don't baptize children. So the, the, the thing that we want to make sure is, is that we are primarily putting into our mortar mix type A. And I want to, I want to be a church that has B and C's where we don't all see the same way that we don't become an echo chamber, that we can hear people's different views of how do you live out these things that Christ has told you to do, and that we can grow from one another and, believe, and, and, and understand that there is freedom, there's diversity within the church. Well, back to our text, Jesus is writing to the church in Ephesus, and we're going to see that this church is primarily a type A church, all right, as we're moving forward. Let's keep going. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now the seven stars in chapter one, he says, are the seven messengers. The seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That golden lampstands, those represent the seven churches that he's writing these letters to. But I want, what I want us to see here is some encouragement. It says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. It shows that Jesus is with us. Jesus is saying, I am among my people. I'm the good shepherd who is going among his sheep. I know my people. I see you. I hear you. I understand you. This is what we've been hearing in Exodus, and it's being echoed in the last book of the Bible. Now, verses 2, 3, and 6 are going to be words of encouragement. Um, let, let's look at, uh, at, at these words of encouragement, because in their seven, their seven letters, two of the churches get just full encouragement. Jesus brings no correction, but the other five have correction in them, and, and Ephesus is one of those churches that gets encouragement and correction. 
So the first thing I want us to see in verse 2 is that um, this church was a hard and faithful, uh, were filled with hard and hardworking and faithful servants. So let's look at what Jesus says. I know your works. I'll stop there real quick. I know your works. What does that do to you when you hear that? Is that, oh, good, or, oh, God, have mercy on me. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil and your patience, patient endurance. Now, that word toil, it means to labor mentally and physically to the point of exhaustion. Um, this is a church that was not afraid to get their hands dirty. They, when they had a sign-up sheet, there was not enough spaces on that sign-up sheet. They got filled immediately. They loved working until they were exhausted. They were not lazy. The second thing I want us to see is that they were lovers and defenders of the truth, of sound doctrine. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. You, and then in verse 6, he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also Hey, now the Nicolaitans were, a, were, to, were believed to be a heretical sect that taught self-indulgence. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, you guys are united in truth. You, you're like a, a hornet's nest when an, an, uh, an invader comes in there. You don't let it stay in there. All of you come together and you attack it and you expel it. You love truth. You love doctrine. You cannot tolerate false teachers in your midst. Now, verse 3, I want to see, see that there's, uh, there's a third thing that I want us to see here, and, and that is that this church was courageously willing to suffer for the glory of Jesus. Look at this. It says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Because they had Jesus on the back of their jersey, they were being persecuted, and you have not grown weary. You've not shrunk back. You've kept going forward. Like John, they, they identify with Jesus, and they are persecuted for it. Now, doesn't this sound like a, a pretty healthy church? Uh, it's, to me, it's, it's an, um, I would love to know that this is true of our church. Um, it, on the surface, it, it just seems like it's healthy. They're, they're hard workers. They, they love the truth. They are willing to be persecuted and suffer for Jesus. But then we, we look at verse 4. Jesus says, but I have this against you. Now, don't you love it when your boss or uh, coach or spouse or somebody says all these nice things about you? And then they say, but don't you love correction? If you're like me, you, you don't like, I, I don't like correction. I don't like someone going, hey, you, you messed up in this area. You're deficient in this area. But you know, uh, Proverbs 12.1 says that he who hates reproof, he who hates create, cre correction, is, I'm going to use the S word, is stupid. That, that's what it says in Proverbs. If you don't like to be corrected, if you don't receive, not like, but if you don't receive correction, Proverbs says that, that we're stupid, and Jesus loves his church. 
Jesus loves his church and he wants us to have life and have it abundantly. So he doesn't just tell us, flatter us, and just tell us everything that we're doing good. He loves us enough to give us life-giving reproof that when we're headed in the wrong direction, away from life, that we can turn around and get back on track. He, he loves his church. So what does he correct them in? He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned or forsaken the love you had at first. The New American Standard says you have left your first love. The New Living Translation says you don't love me or each other as you did at first. It's a lot like going from, from dating to marriage. And Jesus is saying something's changed here. Even though you guys work like ants and you could be professors in, in the seminaries and you're willing to uh, spill your blood for me, for my namesake, you have basically distanced yourself from me. You've drifted away from me. And so your love for me and your love for one another has grown cold. He's basically saying you've lost that love and feeling that you had at the beginning. And, you know, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're seeking to serve Jesus and you're seeking to serve people without being filled with the love of Jesus, listen, that is death. That is death to serve from, another, from, from anything but from love. Paul's, uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I, this, one's, this is the one that blows me away. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but, not, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you get what Paul is saying here? It says, saying that basically we can be a church that is super spiritually gifted and wise. We can have faith that moves mountains. We can feed all the poor in Asheville. We can even spill our lives for him. We can even die for him. But if we don't have love, it's nothing. That is incredible statement there. That's what he's addressing this church in. He's saying you've got head knowledge, um, but if that head knowledge does not stir up and transform your heart, then it's murder to your soul. It's dry. It becomes toxic religion. It kills the life of a church. And, you know, there's times that I have myself have said and I've heard others say, you know, I'm really, I've been serving so much, I'm just burned out. I, I'm, I, need, I need to step back from people. I need to distance myself from people. And I'm, I'm talking about myself in this because this is something that uh, from time to time we get tired, we get weary. And when I'm in that position, and if you're in that state, one of the things I have to ask is what's, you know, what's really going on under the hood? Could it be 
that I've left my first love. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus says, anyone that comes to me, he says, listen, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Matthew eleven twenty eight. most of us know this one. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to make you work harder, and I will give you rest. Question we need to ask ourselves, what are we feeding ourselves? You're feeding on something. And you know, we can do right things, we can have right doctrines, but if Jesus is saying, but listen, if your intimacy with me is not there, you're going to become like a dry and brittle branch. He says that in John 15. So if we're hungry, if, if we're thirsty, if we're weary, it's probably, it's very well because we've abandoned our first love. Now, I want to stop here and just make sure you don't misunderstand me. There's times we need rest. You know, uh, Jesus had to pull away. He pulled his disciples away and got rest. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about where you're just so frustrated and visionless and just want to quit. That's what I'm talking about. That Jesus says, I'm living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. If, you're, if you find yourself and if you're really following Jesus, you are going to find yourself in this position from time to time. Uh, we just want it to be less and less as we continue to move forward. But what do you do? How do you get back on track? In the words of Apollo Creed, how do you get the eye of the tiger back if you've lost it? Well, the good thing about Jesus is that he doesn't just come and correct us and discipline us and then send us to our room without dinner hoping that we'll figure it out. He directs us. He instructs us. He uh, wants to help us to get back onto the pathway of life. So verse five is the answer to the question of how do we get back? How do we get the love back? Jesus says, remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Three things in verse five, three R's I wanna point out. Number one, remember, repent and return. Remember, repent, and return. And I love that word remember. I love the word remember. Why? Because we are a forgetful people. I have said that for five years. And it's right here in the text. This is why I say it, because it's right here in the text. Remember the early days. Jesus is saying, remember when you first came to me? Remember what you were like when you first came to me? Remember that. Remember when we were dating Remember when you tasted and saw that I am good and you received that and what that did to you? Remember when life in me was exciting and sacrifice was joyful? Remember that. One of the best things we can do is share our testimonies of that with each other. Jerry, I'm, can I use you as an example? Okay, good. So, a couple, couple weeks ago, got to sit down with Jerry and just spend a couple hours, and her share, she shared her testimony of how, how she came to, to see Jesus and came to him, how he, he brought her from darkness to light. And, and as Kelly and I were sitting there listening, it was just like we were filled with 
rebirth of what Christ has done. Very encouraging. That's why we need to be together reminding one another of what Christ has done. Remember. Secondly, Jesus says, repent. Repent means to change your mind and turn. Change your mind and turn. Now, when you were, came to Jesus, you were feeding on the bread of life. But at some point, Jesus is saying, my church has turned and abandoned me. So Jesus is saying, repent, change your mind. Whatever you're feeding on, forsake it and turn. Not because you don't want to get in trouble, but because you grieve what you had. Remember what you had in me before you were weary and just tired and, and worn out. Third thing is to return. Return to Jesus and do the works you did at first. Now, what does that mean? Do the works you did at first. I mean, didn't we just see that these, this church is working really hard? Is Jesus saying, turn and work even harder? Um, sometimes that's what we think he means, but uh, that's not. What are the works that he's talking about here? Well, let me ask you this. Those of you who are in Christ, what work did you do at the beginning? What was the work that you did that caused you to joyfully bow your knee to Jesus? What was the work that you did? Well, if I had a ministry verse or a life verse, this would be my verse. It's found in John 6, 29. Jesus is talking to the crowds and he says, do not work for the food that perishes. He's, it's the same message. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which uh, God has put his uh, stamp of approval on. And the crowd goes, well, what is the work that we must do? This is the question where everybody's asking, Lord, what do I got to do to make you happy, basically? And John 6, 29, I've said this verse many times over the past five years, and I'm going to say it again. He says, this is the work, okay? Jesus is going to give us that work. What is the work that God wants us to do? That you what? Believe. in him. The work you did at the beginning was to believe not in the work of your hands. You forsook your works and you turned and looked at his works, namely what he did on the cross. You came to a place where you realized Jesus loves me. What he did proves that he loves me. And when that registered in your mind, in your heart, when you realized that you could have your sins forgiven, your soul was, was fed with the gospel. And you found exactly what you were looking for. And it caused you to come to life and joy and to serve him. It produced serving instead of you trying to do it in your own strength. You fed your soul with Jesus. And Jesus says in John 6, 54 through 55, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That word feeds is in the present active, which means continues to feed on, continues to feed on day after day. Remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. When he says eats my, uh, drinks, uh, feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, he's talking about the cross. When you take in what Jesus has done for you, 
it brings eternal life. And here's another good news. And I will raise him up. I will raise her up on the last day. A promise that this is not the end. This life is not the end. And he says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, go back to the beginning and do the works you did at first. You've forsaken that. You've left me. You've tried to do this things, these things in your own power. And so when we come to Jesus and we look at what he, what he did and when we take it to heart, when we believe, it produces a love, that love that we had at the beginning for him and for others. Now, I do want to say one last thing um, at the end of verse 5, Jesus says this, if, if not, if you don't do what he just said, if you don't repent, uh, remember, repent, and return, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 7, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's a warning and a, a reward here. And notice that the lampstand, if you have a lampstand, you know that the lampstand is not what produces the light. It holds the light. It holds the light up in order for others to benefit from it. And I think what Jesus is partly saying here is, look, if you don't come back to me and remember, you're not going to be able to shine the light. You're not going to really be able to represent me. And if a lampstand is not shining light, what do you do with it? It's, it's just collecting dust, so you remove it, you put it away. Going back to my question, are we going to be here in five years? Are we going to be existing, or are we going to be prospering? Are we going to be a lampstand that holds up the light of Jesus? Listen, this is the way to ensure that. There's a lot of things we did wrong when we planted this church. There's a lot of things we did wrong over the past five years. But one of the things that we've stri striven to do is to keep pointing back to the gospel. Keep pointing back to what Jesus did for us. Quit looking at what our hands do. Look at what he does and see if, he's, if that is being produced, but always turning to him, giving him the glory. So let's take heed to the word of Jesus. Let's remember what he has done. Let's repent when we have drifted away and let's return and focus on his work, what he's done, what he has accomplished, that we might have food for ourselves, drink for ourselves, rest for ourselves, and be a lampstand that can do the same in our own homes, in our communities, in our city. Amen? Amen. Amen.